Welcome back to Imagination Land. This will be episode 8, 9 or 10, depending on the order that I edit these episodes in. I've had a very productive weekend. Uh, Last weekend of the Premier League, I missed all of the games because I was busy talking to Will from Sunspot. But that's okay. I will catch up with Match of the Day later, so that's not a problem. Um... The weather's beautiful outside. Maisie's headed off to go see Joe Lysett uh, in Dunstable, I believe. Um, Have a couple of job interviews tomorrow. Everything seems pretty good right now, so no complaints here. I hope everything's going well for you wherever you are as well. Uh, So today I have my old friend Abby Vasquez. Uh, vocalist of the black metal band Underdark on the pod with me. Uh, I met her while she was playing in a band called Child Actors. Oh man, that brings back memories. <laughs> I believe we met at a uh, like a all day festival in Nottingham at Stuck on a Name uh, that Solanus also played. That's uh, really bringing back memories there. Oh man, I oh, I, I feel I feel twenty again. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Me too. But we're never getting those years back. Oh god, it's been a long, long decade. <laughs> it really has. Uh, Abby has also played in the band Yuri. A really bad, really bad, really good <laughs> power violence band. Mix my words up there. Freudian slip, sorry Abby. No, a really good power violence band uh, that had, I believe, Sean from Adorno Records in and uh, they did all their releases through Adorno and uh, they were they were good fun. So when I heard that she joined Underdark, I was, uh, I was really pleased to hear it, like a match made in heaven. Underdark have recently released their new album, Our Bodies Burned Bright on Reentry, through Surviving Sounds uh, in the UK. Through Love Records in Europe and Tridoid Records, can't say I've heard of that one, in uh, US and Canada. So yeah, it's good to have you, Abby. Uh, very last minute thing, one of my other guests fell through. Thanks for getting back to me within about five minutes. It's really nice to have this opportunity to talk. How are you today? I'm doing good, thanks. Uh, I, I woke up kind of late, actually. Like I woke up to your message, I think. Um so I've uh, been catching up most of the day, but it's been good. It's been uh, it's been fairly productive writing and stuff. Oh, that's really good to hear. Um, what what's been going on in your world recently? Anything uh, anything interesting? Uh, we're writing a new album, actually. <laughs> that's uh, yeah. I've been working on lyrics all day, so that's been fun. Uh, it's. A little more conceptual than things have been previously, so uh, it's kind kind of got a narrative element to it, which I really enjoy because I also write stories in my spare time. Excellent. So we'll uh, we'll get back to that in a little bit more a little bit more depth uh, later because that's definitely something I want to touch on. But first, uh, let's start here. So for as long as we've known each other, uh, you've been into some of the most disgustingly heavy and obscure music that I know of, uh, Uh particularly in your uh, musical output. Uh, 
Can you talk to me about where your interest in subculture music started? Would like to hear about the the gateway bands you grew up with and how that developed into an interest in like the really heavy stuff like the black metal and the power violence and stuff like that. Oh, where it started, that's... Uh, I, I'm going to show my age real hard here, aren't I? Um, <laughs> uh, okay, so I, I was an emo kid. <laughs> Weren't we uh, all? Yeah, yeah, I was... Um, so, like, my my first love really was hip-hop. I, that would be... That, that was sort of like square one. But then, um, but then when... Uh, Oh God! I think it was the Used was the first band I heard of that sort of ilk, and I was like, "Oh, hang on, yeah, there's, there's something I quite like here. I, I like the, I, it was uh, the the way the vocals were delivered with such um, passion and intensity. It's sort of like, okay, I, I can can really get on board with this. I can really feel what's coming through the speakers right now. And so, um, from there, I got into. Uh, got into a lot of the sort of like um victory records family of bands from that time you i, I don't know if you uh oh god what other labels were big uh, vagrant epitaph that kind of stuff um yep and uh i mean i still i still bump a few of them to this day as um census fail put out a surprisingly good hardcore album at some point that i kind of haven't been able to kick and so yeah all right all right <laughs> No, I, like it sounds mental, but like yeah, at some point, at some point in his life, um, the the census fail guy like um, got really into like Buddhism or something, quit all substances, and then just put out this really fucking heavy album. And I'm like, okay, um, sounds, sounds like a good uh, good life path, to be honest. Yeah, like fucking optimal, to be honest. Um, and I still fuck with like the first few Funeral for a Friend albums. I've, I, I don't think it's been more than a month since it came out that I've gone without listening to hours in full. So, so. <laughs> but where where it started getting where where I sort of started veering off like the normie uh, life path, I guess, was when I bought uh, Terrifier, the Pig Destroyer album, because I thought the artwork was cool. Which nice. it is, yeah, and that thing scared the ever-loving shit out of me the first time I heard it. <laughs> it's like, but I, oh god, it was, oh god, it, it was. I I kept listening to it because you know this was back in the days where you know like you're buying records instead of streaming them, so it's like you know I I, I need to listen to this in full at least once because I just spent twelve quid and want to get my fucking money's worth out of it, yeah, and. Sure. Yeah, 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 and um, and it was like by the time I got to the song "Thumbsucker," where I'd like learned how to kind of pass, you know, pass his vocals and figure out what he was saying, and the the lyric there's a lyric in that is um, "Punish me for my weakness, blame me for everything. I don't like suffering, but I like the sympathy it brings." And I that was like, oh, okay, this is my favorite band now. I I was sixteen at this point. Nice. Um, yeah, yeah. Like it, it, it's fucking, fucking optimal age for like hearing that sort of thing and it just sticking in you. And and yeah, like, since then, um, uh, Pig Destroyer has been one of my favorite bands. And from there, you know, like you 
go back and check out Napalm Death and then the sort of like associated acts like um, uh, like uh, Doom, Amoebics and like the sort of first wave of what later became known as Crust. And then there's, um, you know, that, and then it just sort of like spreads outwards from there. Like, um, I, I guess, like the sort of stain that is left behind on the carpet after they take the bodies away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 for for me, when I was about that age, uh, my mum's my mum's uh, new, uh, new husband at the time knew. Yeah. We'd been together 15 years. He moved in and uh, he lent me a copy of uh, Opus Ghost Reveries. Oh, that does slap them. Yeah, I remember being on uh, on my paper round at the time and uh, I was listening to it for, I think, must have been the first time because uh, I pressed play on it and it was, you know, slow start, the da, 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 like piano intro. Yeah, and then yeah. I was just about to cross the road as a car was coming at at least 40 miles an hour when the guitars, the, the growling, all of it kicked in and I jumped out of my fucking skin uh, yeah and as i jumped out of my skin this car raced past me and didn't hit me and oh, oh. i'm so glad that was the record i was listening to that day oh it's so perfect i i love um i love when you're like in public listening to something for the first time and then it just hits you in a way that's like it gives you like an out-of-body experience almost it's a really fucking underrated feeling i think yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so from there, you discovered all this uh, all this heavier music at around the that age of sixteen. What were the first steps for you into thinking, oh, I could I could do something like that? Uh, what What were your first steps into trying to make music and and play with others? Uh, my first steps. Um, th- this is some fucking deep Abbey law right here. This is truly uh truly fucking cursed information is i tried for a while to be a sort of singer songwriter in the vein of like elliot smith or um or uh fucking connor oberst of bright eyes (laughs) it sounds absolutely ridiculous given you know like power violence and black metal right but yeah like i uh, I can still play guitar to some extent, but my like main downfall with that, and which continues to be a fucking bugbear of mine to this day, is I I just cannot sing <laughs> at all. Um, no, fair enough. It, it's it's just like not not even in a sort of like oh, I don't know, man. Bob Dylan couldn't sing either way. It's like nah, literally, I I just couldn't, cannot stay in key, cannot hold a tune. It, it's embarrassing frankly and kind of odd given the fact that i'm actually pretty fucking good at like you know pitch changes dynamic shifting and stuff with um you know with harsh vocals yeah you've uh, you've found your niche and you've uh, you've smashed it there so with the guitar how did how did you pick that up were, were you self-taught were you lessons through school were you playing with friends what went on there well, my dad uh, played guitar, he, and so, you know, there'd always be, like, something lying around, and and I learned a few, I learned a few bits of him, um, uh, like, he taught me, um, 
I think Sunday Bloody Sunday by U2 was the first riff I ever learned, um, which is, I know for most people it's smoke on the water, but uh, I, I guess um, some good era U2 was, uh, was on. <laughs> I, I, I don't know how far, I, I don't know how many punk points I'm losing for suggesting U2 ever had a good era. But <laughs> No, the next question is, and to what level does U2 influence the new Underdark <laughs> album? Um, I, I'd say, I'd say a, a lot, but not as much as Rush does. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> I'm looking forward to getting into that. Um, okay, so from guitar to vocals, uh, you couldn't sing, but y- you wanted to. What, yeah. What happened there? Well, basically, it was. I mean, shit. What, what do I say about that? I uh, I did for a while take singing lessons, but it just it just didn't seem to stick, and. And I guess it got to a point where I was just sort of like, well, you know, what? I'll just play it. I just play an instrument in a band. And maybe if it's like a screamy band, I can do some backup vocals or something. And so that's what I was that that was sort of what I was doing in child actors was, like, you know, I'd play bass and I'd, you know, I'd do the screamy bits. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> it, it's weird to think of me as holding an instrument now. But... Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, like that—that's what I do in child actors, because um, that—that was kind kind of a pop band, really. A, a little, a little bit of scream. I was a little bit, um, I guess, sort of like. Uh, um, th- this is going to be absolutely thrilling for everyone listening to the podcast. Deciding to check out this uh, decade-old band, and only to find out that nothing was ever recorded and released. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, uh, it was it was kind of like you'll live sounding um, for a lot of it. That's, that's so it's like yeah, yeah, it's like a, a little bit pop punk, a little bit screamo, um, as was the style at the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh god i sound like such a trend chaser but uh now only algie bloom do that so that they were the ones that got out alive uh god they're so good aren't they and i i ran into um ran into matt from algie bloom a couple of times uh under dark gigs he's doing well it's it's just nice to see someone from that era as well makes you feel young again it really does and it it's so comforting, I guess, in some ways, because it's like yeah, I I remember when we went to a gig together in so and so's basement or whatever, and it, it's it, it's almost like it's almost like all the crap that happened between times just sort of uh, dissipates. Not that there was even not not that it was even all that crap. I, I've I've had a pretty tough decade, but not everyone. Uh, I mean, I would say that it's been quite. a a tough decade with the, you know, the rise of so- social media and uh, yeah. the first recession, and now what will likely be a second recession coming uh, with the with Trump all over the place and with the rise of figures like Elon Musk and things like that and Jeff Bezos. So it's it's not been an easy decade, you know. For sure, it definitely. Definitely makes you nostalgic for like DIY all dayers and basement gigs and stuff for sure. For sure. 
Okay, so from child actors to Yuri. Um, okay, so they were They were the power violence project you were doing before, before Under Dark. Uh, that was quite a productive period, from what I remember. That was. There was the that demo, was. there was the live record, there was Breathe In Water for the Rest of Your Life, and then there was that last one, Too Blast, Too Furious, which <laughs> is an excellent name for a record. It's beautiful, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, uh, it really is. All, all of that through Sean's, uh, Sean's label, Adorno. Uh, mm-hmm. How did the project come together, and what was the what was the writing and recording process like for that? Uh, the writing and recording process was um, Sean would uh, do everything but the vocals. Like he'd he'd uh, play the guitars and the bass, he'd sequence drums, and then that would be um, that would be sent over to me, and I would. Uh, I would add, well, I'd write lyrics and then I would add vocals. Um, I had a friend in the city at the time who would uh, who would give me free studio time. So it was lucky because I was broke as hell. But uh, the writing process for that was basically that. How, how it came to be was um, uh, basically, I, I think I answered a um, a Facebook post. Sean was Sean said something like, "Oh, I'm uh, interested in doing, um, you know, interested in doing like a grind or power violence uh, project with, you know, with someone like on." And so I I was like, "Yeah, sure, that that's great." Because I I think uh, uh, if I remember right, child actors had sort of fizzled out a bit, and I was thinking, you know, uh, you know, it'd be nice to have another project going on. Oh fuck! I remember what I was doing. I was doing, <laughs> I was doing like experimental um, droney field recording stuff. <laughs> I forgot about that. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was listening to loads of like um, Sun and Hazu and Brian Eno, and I was like, well, I can't make it sound like really heavy like Sun, but I can, I can make it like a little bit Eno sounding, and I'd. Uh, I'd, I'd just like record stuff at the place I was working or like walking around the train station or whatever and and then like arrange music around that it, it was a it was a fun little time um, but anyway I was I was doing I was doing that and I was like but you know I had a sort of itch to do something like nasty sounding and then I you know I saw you know Sean was looking for a vocalist for like a grind project and I was like okay I'll you know like you know I'll, I'll give it a go and so i did and i th- i can't remember rightly so like i i think i'd have to i think i'd have to ask sean but i think the intent was for it to be like a recording project and we'd never really thought about doing it live and then uh the response it got was quite good so we thought you know what it might be might be fun to play some shows actually should we do that yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so we that that's how we that's how we ended up um we got Lars who uh correct me if I'm wrong was also in KD at the time and yep still doing uh, it. I saw yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the night swimming show the other day uh, hell yeah God, hell that's yeah a blast from the past yeah oh, who else as well there was another one but I uh, can't remember off the top of my head but um uh yeah that that was 
so we got Lars and um, Sean's friend Remy, and we all uh, we uh, played some shows, <laughs> and that that went surprisingly well. <laughs> yeah, you played some uh, played some pretty good shows, uh, including a, a little European run with that band Droves. Oh hell yeah, fantastic lads! Um, I think yeah, great band as if, well. If I yeah 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 yeah. Uh, I haven't spoken to any of them for ages. Ah, I miss them all, man. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's that's what time will do to you. Yeah, God, I feel like a fucking war vet. <laughs> <laughs> Combat vet, <laughs> veteran. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh God, my great war was a bottle of German creme de menthe. <laughs> Fuck's sake! Uh, you, you guys also played uh, Miss the Stars, didn't you? <laughs> Hell How yeah. did you find it? It was it's a sick festival, isn't it? It was so good. It was so good. Um, I managed to spend our entire set being crowd surfed. Pretty much, it was great. Perfect. Which, which stage were you on? Were you in the uh, in the little basement, or were you... we were we were in the we were on the second stage, which was pretty much ideal for us because our set was really short and yeah. the whole room was whole room was packed, and so it was. Um, one of the best experiences I've ever had playing live, to be honest. It was... Um, it's by far the best best experience of mine. Um, oh, it's when, su- when such a good event. playing music, it's like, yep, that, that 15 minutes in the basement in Berlin really is, is just something to look back on. So I'm, I'm glad you got to experience it too. One for the record books. Schwinn brings it up quite a lot too because they uh, they played it with Night Swimming and I just think everyone from the UK that's had a chance to go over there and isn't like a career musician with like a, over a decade of career musicianship where, where when they're doing it for fun, when they're doing it with their friends, if they've had a chance to play Miss the Stars, that's all they really need to... to to just get them through, you know, it's, it's it brings such a positive impact to your self esteem, or at least absolutely, absolutely. Like I, man, like I've been in fucking Kerrang since, but I've never felt more like a rock star than I did then. <laughs> well, what was your sleeping situation like while you were out there? Um, we stayed in a squat in. Yeah, yeah, it's and German squats are not they're not fucking around, man. It's like there was I mean like it, I mean if you've been in a British squad say, like, you know, you're happy when there's running water. They'd not only had like hot and cold running water, they had all that kitchen. There was a bar downstairs with like ping pong and a fucking honor system and then right? And then they're like, oh, yeah, uh, this floor, if you go onto this floor, don't." Uh, I don't know why I'm impersonating the guy. That, that seems really disrespectful. If you go on this floor, don't film anything or whatever, because we've got, like, 30 refugees hiding out on this floor. I'm just like, yo, you guys are so fucking hell. cool. I know. It was the... Yeah, that, that's why I'm not mentioning any names as to who squad it was because they they were doing that. And um, <laughs> don't blame me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like just fucking unreal. How? Oh man, I uh, I've got such fond memories. I want to go back, but only now thanks to Brexit, it's gonna cost like an extra fucking hundred quid per country you hit or something. It's oh, don't don't. I dread to uh, tour in Europe is like now legitimately terrifying um at some point 
Like at some point we're gonna have to. You know, we got an album out, we got to tour it, right? But oh, God, it's bro, fucking hell. Ah, uh, I mean, like obvious, obviously, like the average voter doesn't really care about the plight of the touring musician, but like especially not the touring black metal band. <laughs> uh, we we should have. <laughs> Uh, we we should have uh, pretended to be nationalist black metal or something. <laughs> oh, fuck's sake. <laughs> okay, so let, let, right, let's right. talk. Let's talk black metal then. Let's let's Let, talk, let's do uh, it. Underdog. Uh, un- underdog. 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's what we call our fans. What underdogs? <laughs> yeah, it is now. I'm an I'm an underdog for sure. I, I will get that tattooed on my forehead. Um, when you uh, when you eventually print merch with that on it, I'm I'm taking a cut. I'm afraid I've uh, as part of the creative process. Uh, the contract is sealed, mate. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so yeah, you joined Underdark in 2019. And uh, almost straight away, you released a uh, a Cure cover on a two-track. That two-track, you, you recorded the vocals on that, didn't you? Sure did. Yeah. Excellent, <laughs> excellent. Just thought I'd uh, get my facts straight before I uh, uh, go forward. So uh, talk to me about how that fit came about. Because uh, as I said earlier, it it seems obvious when when you think about it that that would be a good fit. But but how did that come together with you getting in touch with Underdark and uh, replacing their old vocalist? Well, it was it was a case of really good timing, to be honest. Um, uh, I went through kind of a rough patch for a couple of years after um, after Yuri disbanded. Uh, I needed to take some time out for medical reasons, let's say, and uh, and uh, after that, uh, it it all just sort of I don't know. I guess I was just in the wind for a while, and then um, and then when I get back to myself a little bit, uh, I just happened to get wind that um, that you know Dan's looking for a vocalist, and I'm like, okay, I'll. Uh, you know, thinking now oh, maybe he's got a side project or something going on, because I'd missed the news that um, that Underdark had parted ways with their old singer, and so I was like, you know, I mean, maybe a side project, maybe you know, maybe it's something a bit grindy or something. You know, I can be like, yeah, I, I used to be in Yuri, you know, we can do that, and then he's like, oh yeah, cool, you know the EP, don't you? I'm like, what? You? He's like, yeah, yeah, the Underdark EP, you know, you can. Uh, I'm like, oh, 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 okay. I'm auditioning for Underdark then. <laughs> All right, <laughs> yeah, let's fucking get it, mate. So, uh, so yeah, that um, went quite well. Uh, I always, um, I, I did at first have a few worries about maybe not being such a good fit, largely because I can't grow a beard, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, it's, uh, it's, it's never too late. <laughs> uh, tell that to my follicles. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, so let's um, let's move forward to uh, the process of writing and recording the album. So you uh, you join this band, you quickly write and record uh, a, a two track, well, 
uh, write one of them as a cover, so you rearrange and, and you record. I believe the vocals were already written for you on the uh, on the song you recorded. Was that on the uh, original one? Was that the case? That's true. That that is a re-recording of one of the songs from the EP uh, with Bruce and Bloody Feet. Um, uh, an ode to uh, to um, the witch, the film, I believe. That's a bloody great film. That is, uh, is very, in it. very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As is uh, as is the lighthouse, and and uh, I recently saw the Northman, which was uh, also amazing. Robert Eggers is a, is a king. He's he's killing it for sure, for sure. I think the lighthouse is my favorite of all of those, but it's a tough run thing. Like really fucking impressive filmography. For sure, we'll come back to that a bit later. Um, Hell yeah! So. So you you get in there, you've recorded two tracks, and suddenly it's time to uh, write an album. Talk to me about the process of writing and recording an album so rich and intense as the one that you just released. How did you keep the process flowing as a group, especially as most of the songs clocked in at around the seven or eight minute mark? You were new to the dynamic. Uh, how did your writing fit into the that process as a vocalist, as a member of the unit? So, interestingly enough, that was one where the Yuri method was sort of employed inadvertently because it had all been written and recorded and was actually ready for release with lyrics and vocals done by the former singer. However, they parted ways shortly before that was ready to drop. And so when I joined... Uh, I was basically joining with an album's worth of material, but it was sort of like, well, this is a new release. These are songs that people haven't heard yet. So, you know, um, just just write new lyrics for it. <laughs> and so oh, that, that's, uh, yeah, it, it was it was quite, um, it, was, uh, it, it was easy to sort of snap back into my old mode of working. But unfortunately, it means I didn't get much insight into how, the band writes an album, which I'm seeing now um, as we're writing a new one, and it's it's quite a it's quite an intricate process. How it normally works is uh, Adam and Ollie, our two guitarists, will write um, will write a lot of the the uh, a lot of the guitar parts off each other. Like usually, one of them will you know come in with the basis for a song. They'll show it to the other who will you know, come up with harmonies and supplemental parts and so on. And then it gets brought to us peasants in the rhythm and vocal sections <laughs> as we... Uh, and, um, and yeah, like, from there, it's a point. It's... Uh, uh, we used to sort of use the guitar as the foundation, and I'll be sort of like, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll sing over these parts or, like, th this you know, this part's kind of melodic or the rhythm's a little funky, so I, I don't know about singing over that part. So uh, that's sort of like where I get a rough idea of where I want to put my vocals and lyrics. And sure. uh, yeah, there, there are a lot of, uh, a, lot of um, a lot of practices where I'm just sort of going <laughs> and with, <laughs> without like actually saying anything. Um, but like, uh, so... And so we record that, and then um, 
And so I got like a practice room recording to come back to of like with like placeholder mouth sounds for where I think vocals yeah. should be. And then I and then I'll like write a line that, you know, would hopefully fit to the cacophony that I was uh, producing. But do you, yeah, do you have and, any and, kind of uh, home set up to work with at home? Um, I actually in between setups, I had a decent ish microphone, but something's happened to it. I. It stopped talking to my laptop, and hopefully it's just a case of getting a new adapter. But, uh, uh, <laughs> but I, I don't know, man. But uh, yeah, we're we're looking at um we're looking at demoing this once we've got it uh once we got it like to a point where we can play through all the songs reliably, and we're thinking of doing that with Balti and then um, seeing if anyone will uh, pay for it to be recorded at a fancy studio. Uh, yeah, we 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 posh now, you know. That's, uh... <laughs> so, um, talk to me about the the themes that you're exploring in your lyric writing. Are there, is there anything uh, anything consistent uh, across your your musical output so far? Uh I wouldn't say there's anything especially consistent. I think thematically, what I've always defaulted to is writing about stuff that's bothering me or upsetting me at the time of writing. And so, um, like with Yuri, I, you know, I would write, um, a lot about, uh, basically uh, there were more than a couple songs about being, um, you know, being transgender and so on. And like my experience of that, but like by the time, um, you know, by the time I was writing for Underdark, it was sort of like, well, you know, I've kind of, you know, I've been there, done that, come out the other side, and it, it's not really something that bothers me or weighs on me anymore, and like, I'd feel like I'd be repeating myself if I was to bring it up again. And so... That's what, nice to hear. That's good. Yeah. And so what, what I found myself talking about was... Um, Oh god! I had a song about the uh, U.S.-Mexico border situation because that, that oh, was... God horrifying yeah that that's uh coyotes it's um it's quite a popular one actually people always uh enjoy that when we play it live uh the first show back over covid it was during that one that uh, someone got fucking taken out and someone else got escorted out by security fucking <laughs> it's hell. uh beautiful man it's a lovely thing uh i think it's what happens when you have like hardcore fans who know us from like yuri and statutes and uh you know all the hardcore bands we were in before sort of like cross-pollinating with the metal fans and it's like they both like to mosh but they don't know each other's way of moshing and so it's like okay please try not to kill each other um but yeah like i i think i I think the respective sides of our fan bases have, have sort of intermingled at this point we don't generally get people um don't generally get people injuring each other at shows now a bit like that in human nature show that i saw you guys at in london uh do, do you remember the fight that uh that broke out during in human nature's last song <laughs> i do oh good times good times uh i uh I, I know I'm not supposed to like stuff like that. I'm supposed to be all like, oh no, it's you know, don't don't uh don't don't um hurt each other at gigs. But I I think there's an element where it's sort of like if it's an accident and you know, it, it just means that people are, 
you know, like dancing hard. It, it's an expression of uh, exuberance, I guess, in a lot of ways. You know, it's catharsis. But at the same time, like, you know, if, if someone does get injured, obviously it's a fucking tragedy. But it's, it's very fucking difficult, particularly with hardcore, but I think also with a lesser extent with metal to sort of... Uh, I guess um, to, how am I phrasing this? Uh, it's part of the culture and it has been part of the culture associated since like before any of us were really born even, never mind. And so it's a little bit churlish to sort of go into the, you know, to go into the genre and say, oh, don't do things that way, do things, you know, do things the other way. So I, I do... Uh, I, I do struggle with uh, the idea of uh, people being against it for what it is. It's like, well, if, if you don't want people to dance at your shows, don't don't play hard music. But uh, it, it's a tricky one. It truly is. It truly, truly is. And I, I mean, I and we have to also we also have to remember that I'm saying this as like I, I'm six two and quite athletic. If I was like. If I was like five four and made of matchsticks, I'd probably have a different opinion. <laughs> I can imagine so. Uh, so how how does this manifest itself with a band like Underdark, where you know you you do play technically heavy music, but it's also it's more mournful than it is anything else. It's not. It's not kick in the head music, but are you uh, are people still choosing to kick in the head? Uh, now and again, I think it varies on a show by show basis. Um, how it was going with the Inhuman Nature show was, uh, or with the Inhuman Nature shows, sorry, was um, was uh, they'd get all riled up for Inhuman Nature, and then we'd sort of like show up at the end to kill the vibe and make everyone drunk text their exes. And, you know, that that sort of worked for us. I quite like that dynamic. I, I feel like we're quite a good closer, which isn't just me trying to blag our way into more headline slots, although that would be nice. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I personally, and also Ollie, uh, we're both like huge fans of uh, Jesu or Jesu. I'm not sure how it's actually meant to be pronounced, but uh, you know Justin Broderick's band, um, and so we really like that sort of. You know, it, it's so loud and heavy. It sounds like a jet engine taking off next to your head, but at the same time, it's really like yeah. it's melodic. It's deliberate. It's fucking devastating if it hits you in the wrong mood and like that's something that we something that we do strive for um and how people respond to it is how people respond to it is it's really varied um we get we do get people kicking the shit out of each other we get um god we, we've had uh oh god it was in london there were people like singing along um at the Black Arts uh, that happened. That that was a milestone venue to play, actually. I don't know why I'm acting like I was struggling to remember it. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just like trying to trying to sound like I'm not bragging and overcorrecting into sounding like I'm humble bragging. Um, both, both of which are fine. <laughs> Thank brag, you. Brag, humble brag, it's all okay. 
<laughs> okay, so as uh, the most important person in the best band in the world, I just want to... <laughs> 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 um, that, nah, that's it's... the energy we like. <laughs> um, and it, it's truly a mixed bag. Um, I think one of my favorites that I didn't even realize that I'd like until it happened is when people come up to the merch stand afterwards and it's like obvious that they've been crying. Oh, and that's... No that's really fucking disarming especially when it's like a like a you know a metal dude and he's like and he's like in his 40s and he's got the fucking battery t-shirt that looks older than i am on and the fucking patch vest and shit and it's like i it and this dude's looking like blatantly upset and he's i'm like shit man what's up and he's like that was really good and i don't always say that i'm like dude thank you <laughs> but I, oh man yeah, it it's honestly like truly intense. I, I've never, I've never before been in a band that's made people cry, and it's really like honestly fucking. It, it's intense in a way that I would have never expected it to be, and frankly, it's it's humbling that something that I've had a part in creating has affected someone on such a level. Yeah, of course, of course. And as we as we were uh, we were just mentioning, actually, you've uh, you've had quite a good streak recently. You've been on some uh, some cool tours with uh, Inhuman Nature, which I came and saw you at. Uh, you've uh, you went on a tour with Svalbard. Was that that was a full tour, wasn't it? Yeah, that was. <laughs> yeah, you, you had that bright yeah. up in Kerrang as well. You've had a couple sure of impressive uh, festival appearances, both. Uh, recently and coming up what have the highlights been for you so far and uh, as we've just said the positivity around the project must be uh, really gratifying for you it it is very gratifying it's um, so fucking weird I I used to go to shows in basements I've fucking played people's front rooms what the fuck is happening you know that's, that's one half of it the other half of it is you know like the more rational part is like yeah, we, we, we made a good record and it, it just happened to, you know, it just happened to come out at a time when it was something that people wanted and this is just what happens when that happens. Um, Fair enough. But but also it's fucking nuts, man. It's like, uh, I... I I mean, at the start of this interview, when we were talking about gateway bands, I I mentioned Funeral for a Friend, and someone, and uh, a friend of mine recently sent a fucking photo from them playing live, and their singer is wearing our shirt, and I'm like, what the fuck is no. happening? Right? That's, yeah. That's in, mental. In, I think it was in Glasgow or something, but it's just fucking, like... This is a person who I pass as a celebrity still, like, because, you know, like, he was on the cover of magazines that I shoplifted as a teenager, and now, (laughs) (laughs) and and now I'm in those same magazines, so it's, I guess, yeah, that may, yeah, like, (sighs) fucking hell. Yeah, that's incredible. But, yeah, uh, Yeah, that's that's excellent. But personal highlight-wise, um, uh... I think the Svalbard tour was really fun. Um, that, that was that was some really intense stuff because they they're quite big, and so like we were 
we had fucking dressing rooms in some places, and that's ludicrous. And, oh, God, we played uh, KK Steel Mill in Wolverhampton, and that... You know, that's an enormous place. Like, they, they've got two stages on the... Uh, we were on the smaller one, but, like, on the main one, they have, like, Cradle of Filth tier acts. Like, real, real fucking... Yeah, like, real megastar shit. And because the Svalbard gig was the only one on that night, we got separate dressing rooms and shit. And that was just, like, this is absolutely bonkers. Because we, we expected there to be nothing, and so we just like dumped all our shit behind the merch stand, and as as did Mountain Caller, and lay it was only like it was only like just after sound check the uh so the word got around like oh you know we've got dressing rooms because like fucking Ollie had gone for a nap in the van like I was guarding our shit behind the merch stand and someone was like dressing rooms I'm like what. But we get there and there's like fucking separate band names on three different doors and it's just like oh, what the fuck is happening um that's incredible yeah yeah so that that was fun like i got to you know i got to pretend to be vince neil for a few days um sort of thing it was just like it, it was a, it was a nice little holiday i i don't know if underdogs kind of achieve that level of success or like prestige again but it, it was fun uh while it lasted and uh, hopefully we've made uh, made some mates for life there because uh, Svalbard and Mountain Caller are all incredibly lovely people. Um, what else? The Inhuman Nature gigs were fucking mint as well. Um, They're a great band. Oh, God. So good. So good. Um, oh, God. Uh, if uh, anybody's listening and uh, hasn't seen... Uh, go back a, a few episodes and listen to my conversation with uh, Christopher Barlin from Inhuman Nature. Uh, great guy. Uh, great episode. Yeah. Shout out Inhuman Nature. Uh, so, such a good band. Great lads as well. Really, really, really fun to tour with. Uh, apart from that, I, I don't know, highlight-wise. It's been, it's been such a blur and just, like, unrelentingly positive. Um like I can't think of a a single like bad memory I have in relation to this band. Uh, I, another highlight, and this might be a bit odd, was uh, shooting a music video, which is something I never thought I'd be doing, let alone with like a professional fucking videographer in Morgan Ted, whose work you should absolutely check out because he's really fucking good at what he does. And that was surprisingly fun. It was like. We'd, you know, we shot over two days. There was, I was running around barefoot in a forest for fucking ages. My feet were shredded by the end of it. And uh, it was, it was a blast. And um, it sort of made me think, you know, maybe at some point could even try acting. You know, it's, I I had a really great time doing that. And that's, uh, I think is one of the, as uh, one of the things that I've really enjoyed about Underdark is it's just sort of opened the door to a, a bunch of stuff, which I guess I'd sort of written off in my head as, you know, stuff that maybe would happen for other people. I, I yeah. sort of, I mean, for for a little <laughs> for a little while, I figured like after uh, after it was done in Yuri, I was sort of like, oh, maybe maybe that's it for me in music, and then. Uh, <laughs> So in a lot of ways, I guess, it's like a resurrection, really. 
how old were you when you uh, when you came into Underdark? Just for anybody at home. Oh God, um, I was twenty nine. Uh, so yeah, even I, thirty is not too old. You like, and there'll be fifty year olds here in this saying "fuck you," but yeah, <laughs> even thirty is not too old. Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's something like I do occasionally joke about, like you know, if you're gonna print that, I'm twenty four, but like <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't fucking matter. Like, I mean, I'm not even it it yeah. Like, I I think I think there's this uh, conception of music as a young people's game, and I think the music industry is a young people's game. Sure, like because it's easier for a label to groom and take advantage of someone if they're like 18 and don't understand what a contract is. But I think, you know, like age doesn't really fucking degrade your ability. I mean, to an extent, singing gets harder as you get older. I, I do a lot of warming up and warming down and practicing now, which I never did in Yuri, but... (laughs) <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, like my vocals were a lot better, and I need to sing for like eight times, <laughs> eight times the length. I, I think, I think, like one uh, one underdark song is the length of the entire Yuri set. So, so yeah, like honestly, no, even that there's no such thing as too old. If you like, I'm probably a lot less marketable as a rock star if that's something I wanted to pursue. But it's not. I, I want to sing in a band. I, I don't. You know, I don't want to be an influencer or anything, you know. So, like, if you're just doing music for the sake of music, then whatever age you are is the right age. Perfect. So let, let's talk about what you what you do want to do. Uh, what, what are your plans now going forward with Underdark? You said you're currently writing and uh, demoing a new record. Uh, what comes with that? What's the, what's the goal of the next record? Well, what's come... What it's come with for me has been a stack of research, actually. It's, uh, like I mentioned earlier, it's a concept album this time out, which is something I've never really attempted before. And uh, it's about, in in a nutshell, the elevator pitch is it's about the long-term effects of Thatcherism on uh, post-industrial English towns, as told through three generations of a family living in a, uh, excuse me, living in a village that's like outside of a town loosely based on Mansfield. Fucking hell, that is a, an intense, uh, that's a dissertation, not an album. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I mean, that that's, um, that's sort of the thing. When, because uh, it, it was sort of something that uh, dawned on me uh, while we while we were talking about the, uh, you know, while we we're doing press and stuff for the last album cycle, was, um, you know, we're, we're all from like varying interpretations of post industrial shitholes, like uh, Ollie and Adam Hale from Melton Mowbray in the first place. Uh, Stig and Dan come from Mansfield and I'm from Leicester. And my dad is from Sutton in Ashfield, which is an old mining town. And so. You know, we've all got this sort of shared experience of um, growing up around like th- this kind of like baked in malaise, the sort of acceptance that things are just going to continue degrading. And that sort of sense kind of cross pollinated with um, with the time I've spent working uh, for children's services as admin staff and 
you know, some of the some of the things you witness in that job are quite horrific, and so is. Uh, uh, yeah, I I work in uh, I work in a government department as well, and uh, I have to uh, help quite a uh, cross section of people with a uh, cross section of problems. So I uh, I know the feeling. Yeah, and and like uh, and also like a big part of it is a result of me reconnecting somewhat with my dad after yes, like quite a I don't really want to say too much and drag the poor guy's name through the dirt but it, it was it was largely my fault why we weren't talking like let's, let's just leave it at that but sure. um but we've sort of reconnected a bit and I'm learning more about that side of my family and um how his dad was a minor and when you know when the pits closed he you know he struggled to retrain and there was a lot of a lot of guys around that time who just like there there weren't jobs and if you didn't you know if you didn't get snapped up by some factory or or like get away or something then you would you were just sort of left fucked and it's uh it sort of goes back to what Thatcher said about uh the city of Liverpool how it should be left to uh managed decline and that sort of got me thinking well shit that's that's what they did everywhere, you know, they just sort of, and it's been ongoing to this day. The degradation has continued. It was maybe alleviated a bit in the uh, in the late 90s, early noughties, but that fucking dried up about as quick as the Iraq war started. And so it just all, it's been sort of a slow, constant downward spiral in, I guess, erosion of hope. And like rural England has such a fucking heroin problem that no one talks about as well. And so all these factors sort of came together. And I'm like, because initially I was conceiving it as an album about the mines. And the more I thought about it, the more I was like, no, there's, there's something that I can write here, which is like really fucking, you know, I guess unique to, to the post-industrial British experience that I think should probably be said. I, I don't know that there's much, like, I, I guess it's a little bit Shane Meadows core, but like, that's, there's not really much else that fucking looks at that without, you know, without, I guess, idealizing villages and shit. But, yeah. uh, so that, that sort of, um, I guess the foundation on which uh, I started writing this and what it, what what I'm coming out with now is um, a sort of a narrative-driven album that, that sort of tells a story that ends, uh, ends in the late 80s with the pits closing and just sort of continues through generations of the family following, like, the ripple effect that this has had on them and, like... Until we get to, you know, until we get to the uh, the mid noughties and like the, you know, I, I guess what would be our generation or the one shortly afterwards. And I, I guess sort of witnessing and documenting like the, the steady degradation of uh, these environments and these communities. Wow, sounds like that's going to be a really, uh, really deep and um, uh, what's the word for it? not academically like intellectually stimulating uh 
experience to uh, to consume. So, well, hope hopefully it's uh, it's all. I mean, it, it's also going to be pretty fucking lurid as well. Like, <laughs> don't don't worry. Like, if you if you came to under if you like if you liked the last album because it was a little bit druggy and fucking weird like that, then yeah, you you probably uh, probably enjoy this one just as much. But you know, there's uh, there's some research that went into this one as well. It's not just fucking anecdotes. Sure. Uh, so. Uh... So let's shift towards live music. Uh, I'm interested to hear um, some of the experiences that have shaped you in live music, both in, throughout your career, shall we use that word, as a live musician and uh, the the uh, the shows you've been to, the particularly memorable moments that you've uh, you've uh, had created for you or created for yourself through live music. Ooh, ah, that's a good one. Um, God, there's so many. <laughs> it's <laughs> oh god, it it's so like ah oh, man. I I'm just like I, I'm getting a bit misty eyed here. Ah oh, god, I think one of the most uh, I guess disarming ones was uh, the first time I ever saw this sort of music live was. Uh, we came out like tigers, um, if you remember. Oh, shit, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and what was going on was there was this venue in Liverpool called uh, The Mask, I want to say. It's long since closed down. And that there was like fucking five or six rooms in there. And I'd gone to see some... Uh, I'd gone to see some like studenty indie band at the time. Like I think they were called the Holloways or something like that, and um, they were terrible. But like it's, uh, I it was something to do, and I, I was uh, of that sort of age where I'd, you know, like going out to do something you're not particularly interested in is preferable to staying in, and so I I was bored and I sort of went to poke around one of the other rooms and that's where it happened that we came out like tigers were playing a set and I you know like I'd heard you know Indian Summer I hate myself and all that sort of thing and so like I knew I knew what it was I was witnessing I didn't know it still happened I didn't know people still <laughs> did that and so like I, I just wander into this room and then it's like oh oh people do this Still, oh, here now on this day, I, and that that was like okay. I so that there, there is interest. There's, there's not much, myself included. The number of people in the room was in single figures, but it was still like, <laughs> um, you know, like that. There is interest. There are enough people evidently who like this to form a band. So that that was also when I when I first uh, decided that I could, you know, I could maybe try it and start a band myself. Um, but yeah, that, that was, I guess, uh, what they say, you never forget your first, right? Um, yeah. And we came out like tigers are an amazing first. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Uh, now, what else was really fucking good? I went to see, um, you remember Crows and Ray? Oh yep, they uh, Crows and Ra played. Um, oh, Crows and Ra, Mr. yeah. Stars. yeah. Uh, might be Ray. Uh, they played Mr. Stars the same year that we played, and I watched them on the big stage. 
and uh, my jaw hit the floor. They were so absolutely good. banging, right? I saw them in a basement in Nottingham with human hands supporting. Oh fucking hell! Right, right. I've been right? Oh, to come do on, a band like that, like influenced by those two bands, for the best part of five, six, seven years. I, I just could never. I, I, I just can't make it happen. Apparently, apparently you have to live up north to make that shit happen. It's just so good. Or in Devon. Every time I saw Human Hands as well, it's just been like... Ah, they were my absolute favourite to see live from that sort of era of like DIY gigs and that. And I can't even put my finger on what it is. There's just something about like... Uh, something about the fact that like... They, they weren't even, you know, it was playing slow. It was kind of soft, but the fucking intensity it hit you with, it was like being, God, it was like being fucking dragged behind a car or something. Yeah, like, absolutely. It, oh, God, such a fucking good band. Oh, man. What what else? Oh, when Yuri had a couple of dates with Asthenia, uh, you remember like the Japanese hardcore band? Yes, I Yeah, yeah, that was that them. was super fucking fun. They were all really lovely as well. Um a couple of them still I, I still have them on Instagram, but I I can't read kanji, so I, I struggle to communicate with them effectively, but we occasionally like each other's uh, pictures, so I, I take it that means we're on good terms. Um <laughs> Did you did you ever see the uh, band? I I don't know how it's pronounced, but they came over a few times in the mid twenty uh, tens. Uh, they were like a I think they were Swedish or something. They were called Oijni or Ojni something along those lines. Oh uh, yeah, I, I yeah I I know the uh, configuration of letters to see it, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I also don't know how to pronounce them. And alas, I never actually saw them. I I think they were popping off at around the same time that I kind of fell off the map for uh, reasons uh, yeah, yeah. Re- reasons that waterboarding will not drag out of me so um, <laughs> uh, what what else was there that was really good from that I mean there was loads of it but um, oh, uh, man. remember cavalcades yeah 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 uh, yeah yeah do you remember you live? Fuck yeah, I remember you'll live. Oh my Fucking god. Hell. It's it's so sad because the, the people that I currently work in a place so full of great people who fill me with so much more life and positivity and just a, a, a vibe that I couldn't grasp from surrounding myself with, uh, you know, punks and emos mm. etc there's a positivity that comes from releasing that for at least a section of your life but the problem with that is i couldn't go to the pub and sit down and talk to any of them and say hey do you remember uh god where are we going next do you remember b easton did, did you did you ever yeah. uh, did you ever listen to b easton uh i that one passed me by actually ah wait Wait, hang on. Oh, you, that fucking unlocked a memory. I can't remember any song titles, but I remember seeing them on... God, I had the, one of those fucking old-ass iPods with the 
clicky wheel and shit. Fuck me, man. <laughs> I remember, I remember seeing the title of 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 a, like an album of theirs. Fuck. What what would Nick, give me some of the songs? Like once I hear titles, I'll get something stuck in my head. I know. Remember, they just <laughs> like American football. <laughs> <laughs> they, they all did. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, this is this has turned into such an old scrams, Lord Lovin. <laughs> And I'm I'm here for it. They toured with a with a Swedish band uh, once, and I remember that I can't remember the name of the Swedish band, but I I just remember the title of the record that they were putting out at the time on the on the run that were they were on, and it was such a good title for like a record like that that I I can't believe a bigger band didn't think of it beforehand. The, it was like a it was one of those twinkly emo records and yeah. it was just called I was a loser in school and I thought fuck they have nailed it that's such a good mm. record name that's beautiful every so often I'll uh, look up those god you know that fucking meme where like they'll take a video of someone on TikTok where they I don't know if it's like a trend on TikTok to just have some dude scream at a camera, but like where they where someone will then duet one of those playing a fucking twinkly riff under it. Fuck's sake! I know. I I love them so much. There's like these fucking compilations of them, and it just it really hits a spot because the fucked up part is like it it sounds legit as a song. Yeah, for sure. And it's like this. This is this is where the bar. Was. This is like where our fucking musical sensibilities was, like a fucking shit post where they recut a dude in a tuxedo yelling about how it doesn't make him less of a man because he sits down when he pees. To <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Where where they cut that into a fucking you know generic open tuning tapping riff. And by, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, and, and I'm here, and I'm here, like, yes, yeah, this, this is art. This is, <laughs> this is, this is the good shit, and something I would voluntarily spend my time and money on. <laughs> so um, we came out like tigers in Liverpool. What, what, what else? Uh, what other uh, shows uh, really did it? Oh god! Well, like I say, every time I saw Human Hands was oh yeah, just oh god! I cannot cannot overstress um, cannot overstress the impact that band had on me. Uh, you know, it, it's it's tough to fucking isolate particular ones. Uh, yeah, fair enough. I I remember Mr. Stars when we played was another like. Another one where you sort of leave it thinking, did that actually happen? Yeah, you know, like to you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh god. Uh, I think more recently, with uh, with Underdark was something where um, I was I I passed the mic to someone, and that's something that I don't often get to do because my vocals are pretty fucking incomprehensible. Yep. And like even by standards of the genre, I think I, I'm quite difficult to pass. And that that's yep. that that's just how I sound, you know. It's um and I see this fucking guy and he's singing along to like every 
every fucking line, I'm like, oh shit, okay. So I, I pass him the mic and he does a line and I'm just like, that's, you know, like I finished the set, but I'm in a daze and I'm just like, that's something that I've always wanted to do. That was on like my my uh, front person bucket list. Front person. Uh, and you've smashed that it. Front man that's bucket another list. one. Not- <laughs> another one yeah it's it's so like uh every time something like that happens where it's where like you know like you know your rational brain is like yeah that that's just a thing that happens at shows but it's like yeah but i got to do it this time (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i think i think the thing that i really love about getting to do that for other people is I remember being, you know, being young and a little bit starstruck by people I had, you know, like in hindsight, really had no business being starstruck by. Like they were my peers and they, yeah. they were all. And but at the same time, it's like, dude, I, you know, like I spent all week before this gig listening to your band. And now it's, you know, it's like it, it's hard to not be a bit awestruck. Sorry. And so, yeah. like, it, if I if I was ever past the mic in that situation, it was like, oh, God. <laughs> even you know like i i had a little bit of a fangirl moment and so being able to like pass that on to other people is you know it, it's just the fucking best man <laughs> yeah of course of course um okay so moving on to um other personal projects of yours um i've known for a, a long time that you're a you're a writer as well so let's talk about that for a little bit, and also any anything else that you're uh, that you have a long term interest in, or that you're working on at the moment. So you've got your writing. Is there a, uh, are there any other art forms that you're particularly invested in? Um, not really, unfortunately. I'm I'm not exactly a Renaissance woman. Talk to me about the writing then. Uh, writing wise, I have a. Well, me and my friend Jed have co-authored a novel that we've we're looking for an agent for still actually, but and we're hoping to get that published, you know, the right way, um, the right way in a more traditional way, and okay. it's um, uh, it it's a little bit a little bit sci-fi kind of a sort of near future, a little bit satirical, yeah, it, it's uh basically it, it the concept where it started when i read about a study where humans can be tricked into or like human brains can be uh tricked into solving equations in on a subconscious level while the human's sleeping okay. and that and that got me thinking well isn't a blockchain algorithm an equation it's an elliptical curve right so okay yeah, so we basically just need one major breakthrough to create a situation where humans basically are solving equations in their sleep to generate X, Y, or Z thing. So so are you saying where humans become uh, like uh, Bitcoin become, miners? Yeah, yeah. Well... Uh, yeah, exactly. Or unconscious it's, Bitcoin miners. Yeah, yeah. So, 
so we envisioned this society where you know if you if you can afford the startup you know the the headset that's required to uh harness your delta waves and convert them into whatever the fuck then um yeah i, I do know whatever the fuck is i'm just uh, i don't want to spoiler um uh, yeah uh, yeah then uh you know, that's your job now. You sleep for as many hours a day as your body can stand and then enjoy leisure time in the, you know, in in the few waking hours that you allow yourself. And then obviously economically, that means that sleepers will get paid less and less as the, mar- as the uh, market for that booms. And then you've got like the upper echelons, you know, the 1% living in ridiculous luxury as they always do. And obviously if this is going to be set in the late 2080s, most of the jobs will have been automated. So if you can't afford to get set up as a sleeper, well, good luck. And that's sort of the setting we designed. Yeah, that's kind of the setting we designed. It, it's a, uh, um, I, I'd hesitate to call it a matrix knockoff, but it does have some, uh, does have some qualities in common with that. We're also we're pretty influenced by like Neil Stevenson um, and you know William Gibson et al. And uh, also um, also by uh, you know the K punks uh, Mark Fisher and uh, Nick Land prior to him losing his mind and all of that crowd. And how how long did that take you to write? Uh just under a year. Um, Google Docs is a fucking godsend. The uh, remote sharing <laughs> capability is just like wow, complete game changer. We would uh, basically we're in the process of editing it ourselves and shopping it around to agents as we do that. Um, but from from conception through to uh, uh, from like conception of the idea through to like having a finished first draft, it took about uh, let's see, it took about um, ten months of weekly writing sessions with us each doing bits, um, you know, doing bits through the week uh, supplementally, and that. You know that was a really good working model, and it's uh, it's made co-authoring a lot easier. About ten months, all told, yeah. Um, uh, and that's sort of like weekly writing sessions where we'd uh, get on a call and go for about you know three four hours. It'd normally run from like seven till ten, but sometimes a bit longer, sometimes less long. And then uh, just doing bits. Um, you know, doing bits throughout the week, like if there was a particular bit that uh, that one of us really wanted to write, um, or that we were a little bit too awkward, to, <laughs> a little bit too awkward to fucking uh, discuss over the phone. Like uh, there, there are a couple of um, couple of uh, sexually charged scenes, I guess, where it's a little bit like, bro, I I don't know if we're that good of friends to fucking talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, <laughs> uh, it was, it was, it was a blast to write, honestly. And, uh, we do have sequels planned. So if any agents are hearing that, that's a prospect for the future. <laughs> wink, wink. Um, I, I know, I know, I know in a post George Martin world, y'all might be a little uh, less hot on sequels and series, but I promise we're, we're not gonna, we're not gonna die before it finishes. Amazing. So um, you're at the editing stage at the moment. Uh, 
how how's the edit going? Are you feeling like you're uh, close to a to a uh, to a product, or or do you think it still still needs quite some time? Well, I think like all manuscripts, like you should definitely not be the last editor for it. Um, okay. So if if we really can't find an agent and end up self-publishing, then we'll probably send it to one of our friends to check over first. There's a there's a third route there and that you might not need an agent, but might be able to find an independent press in the market for, for science fiction of your vibe that will take on the editing duties for you without having to, for example, pay for an agent or anything like that. So that's, that's definitely something worth considering. That's very true. That's a good idea. So yeah, those are I think like the the bulk of the editing will have been early on because what happened about a third of the way in was we started writing in this really clipped style where we'd where we'd cut a lot of well I guess what I see as the unnecessary elements and sort of left left only what you'd need in a sentence to pass uh, the tone and the subject and the action so like you know like the article goes any sort of um, any any sort of way of uh, Oh God, like we'd say everything the shortest way we possibly could, basically. Yeah. And so what we ended up with was this really sort of hyper-clipped style. That's really quite effective for what we're doing, I think, because one of the key elements is sort of atomization and, you know, like the depersonalization of the human experience, because... the main character is one of the, uh, you know, one of the sleeping class, effectively. So he's like, you know, he, he sleeps for a living. And so uh, one of the key, one of, one of the key parts of his arc is sort of relearning how to interact with human beings because, uh, you know, he, he lives with, um, you know, he lives with his digital assistant, you know, the uh, the 2080s version of um, Alexa or Google Plus or whatever. And uh, not Google Plus, uh, Google Assistant. I, I know the names of things, and so <laughs> uh, and so like I f- I feel like the the style that we're writing in sort of mirrors this kind of disjointed, slightly mechanical approach to interaction that evolves when you live in such like exaggerated isolation. Sure, sure. Uh, we are now an hour and 20 minutes through so what I'm going to do before we move oh, on oh Jesus I talk a no, lot <laughs> no, it's been great but what I'm worried about is losing any of it so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you to pause your recording and back it up I'm going to do the same and then we'll get on to general media conversation so uh, we've been going for hour hour and 15 now and it's been really interesting. I've had a really good time. So thanks for coming on, Abby. Hey, thank you for having me. It's it's been a it's been a real fucking treat. Yeah, it has been really nice. So now let us move on to the last part of the show. Chit chat about media in general, talking about books, talking about films, things like that, and anything that you have enjoyed particularly recently, records, video games, whatever. Earlier we were uh, talking about Robert Eggers, and I uh, just wanted to come back to that. And uh, just wondering if you'd uh, you'd had a chance to see The Northman yet? 
I've not yet, but everyone I've spoken to says that it's been really good. What was your experience of it? I thought it was amazing. I thought it was brutal. I thought every scene in the film was the most batshit thing I'd ever seen one scene after the other so it was nice, like, nice. okay that was the most best shit thing i've seen no that was etc uh i took Maisie with me and she wasn't uh, it wasn't really her thing and my friend caitlin who is into that kind of thing she came with us as well mm-hmm. and uh i think their takeaway was that it was uh too much of a direct rip on hamlet for them to uh because uh, it's based on the story that Hamlet is based on. Okay, okay. They'd both seen enough uh, uh, Hamlet-related material that they they didn't need the hyper brutal version. But uh, it it did it did it for me. That's fair enough. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with a bit of brutality. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, what have you been into recently? Recently, I've been on a big. I've been on a big 90s sci-fi kick. Um, I watched uh, Babylon 5, um, the all the 90s Star Trek. And this is a little bit later on, but I watched the um, Battlestar Galactica remake as well, which with uh, Katie Sackhoff and um, other people who aren't Katie Sackhoff. <laughs> <laughs> I have a type, okay? And um, uh, so... That's sort of been my vibe. And once I got done on all of those, I started on The Expanse, which is something I've been meaning to watch for ages. And it's, I saw a little bit of that when it came out. How are you finding it? It's really fun. Uh, I don't think the writing's as good as it is on something like Babylon 5, but like visually, it's fucking gorgeous. Like They really hit it out of the park. It's very, very nice. And... And what else have I watched this like of that ilk? Um, the film Sunshine, uh, the Danny Boyle sci-fi joint. That's another one that I've really enjoyed. And oh my God, how did I forget Possessor? Uh, Possessor is, um, can't remember the guy's name and I'm going to feel bad about it, but it's uh, David Cronenberg's son, I believe. Um, I think it's Brandon. Sick. I'm just Googling it real quick. But he directed a film in 2020 and it's a sort of it's a sci-fi psychological horror about an about an assassination company that basically uses a microchip that they sneak into someone's body to remote hack that person so they can eliminate a target that is close to them and wow. it's that, that sounds right up your street <laughs> it, it is it's like it's like yeah brandon cronenberg that's the uh, director but yeah it, it's it's like um someone fucking made a film specifically to my taste it, it's truly truly beautiful and I, I love it dearly have you uh have you seen scanners i have seen scanners it's fucking great <laughs> yeah that that sounds very similar to scanners which is uh uh, I can't can't remember who made that. That that wasn't Cronenberg. I was believe it, it um, was uh, Cronenberg, the older. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess a, it runs in the family. Film. Hell yeah. It yeah, is. for sure. I I may have gone full sci-fi um, <laughs> recently, <laughs> which uh, I mean, it's no bad thing, but you know, it. it Your uh, Instagram handle is a uh, very very sci-fi esque. Uh, <laughs> 
everything about it is very very sci-fi so i i would uh, i would assume that from you as well to be honest are you uh, a video game person at all is there anything on that front that you've been i i, I am a gamer I, i'm wearing my gamer headset <laughs> to speak to you right now um you're rising up <laughs> yeah we do in fact live in a society um <laughs> oh, oh god kill me now um yeah uh disco elysium is Ooh, the best looks good. the best thing i've ever played it's just nice oh my fucking god this game um i don't it's just it's a fucking masterpiece it's I, I I feel like if I start talking about it, this is going to go for another like two or three hours. So um, I'll make sure I pick it up when I get the chance then. Because last time it was on sale, I didn't get the chance. Um, yeah, just just like suffice it to say, it, it's truly phenomenal. Like the amount of reactivity it has to itself, like failed, like it's, it's an RPG in it. And like, failed checks in it will lead to entire fucking plot threads because like um you know like say you're playing like uh skyrim or cyberpunk or whatever and and like you encounter a door and you need like x or y MacGuffin to get through and you don't have it or you fuck the check up and then well i guess i gotta go and do some other fucking bit of the game now yeah like Disco will have a fucking plan for that and will have like a whole as good load of content for if you fucked up the test. It's truly phenomenal and the political commentary is fucking ludicrously good, incredibly wry as well. Like, um, like I don't think it's uncritical of any particular viewpoint, which I find really refreshing. Like uh, a lot of um, a lot of uh, more right leaning gamers accuse it of uh, being communist propaganda, but that's basically because it doesn't go out of its way to demonize communism, and they're all babies. But uh, <laughs> I, I mean, it, tell me it ain't true. Yeah. Like when when right Fair when when right wingers grow up, they stop playing games, and so like anyone who is right wing and still a gamer is basically a child. But um oh, well no spicy it's, take. Hey, it's their whole doctrine is like adults are not allowed fun and so like they... oh yeah this is this is true can't disagree with you on that yeah uh, i i've i've seen that uh critique we'll call it uh to um to put it generously yeah. on uh on disco elysium but it looks really really good yeah what what i found of it is it, it's not it's not inherently pro-communist in the way that you know. It, it's not a propaganda piece. It it's set in the site of a failed communist state. Basically, it's uh, it, it it's based um, somewhat loosely on an amalgamation of uh, of France and like a uh, sort of you know ex USSR state. Sure. And so the. Uh, the vibe it has, it doesn't flinch away from, um, you know, it doesn't like flinch away from critiquing communism, but equally it, it doesn't shit on it. it it's, it's very, um, it's very measured in its response to it. It's sort of like, 
well, these things happened, such as the reality of a revolution. Ultimately, it failed. And then it sort of pursues that further into, you know, communism is essentially about failure, like inch by inch building, you know, stacking failures on failures until finally we have a success. And it's, I guess, in a way that's that's quite positive. But I think the ultimate, um, the ultimate air of the, the game is quite melancholic. And that's something that I really enjoy about it as well, because at no point does it become a power fantasy, which is something that, something I'm quite tired of in games. Yeah, of course, of course. Have you had a chance to play Elden Ring, or has that... Uh taken your fancy at all it has taken my fancy i've yet to play it though um so I, I haven't had a chance to get around to it yet either i'm uh i'm waiting to get one of those steam decks have you seen the uh oh, the man. steam deck where it's like a little uh like a nintendo switch but you could play your whole steam library on it i have seen those those look very interesting I'm not gonna lie. Like I, I was debating like if because uh, I'm, I'm a little bit. You know, money's, money's been an issue. I'm, I'm not. I, I don't have the nicest. Uh, I don't have the nicest computer for gaming. I do most of my stuff on an Xbox One. So like, I, I was kind of like, is the last gen Elden Ring gonna be all right? And, uh, and so I, I'm was sort of waiting for. You know, waiting for a few patches to happen, waiting for, um, you know, waiting for it to settle down a bit. And then uh, then I was going to, you know, see if the verdict is, you know, this runs fine on last gen or if I'm going to have to upgrade something. But I've, uh, I've got a PS4 sat in the lounge from um, 2014, so I'm definitely not buying it on that. Yeah, do it, do it for Bloodborne, though. <laughs> <laughs> I've uh, I've already played a bit of Bloodborne on there, but that's that is too gothic for me. I'm too much of a I I don't have it in my bones to uh, to to sit through thirty hours of Bloodborne without shit in my pants, basically. <laughs> oh bless you. Um, I've I've got uh, I've got a PC in the spare room that could handle Elden Ring, but I know my partner wouldn't want me to spend one hundred and twenty hours. Uh, glued to a PC playing it, so uh, that couldn't is, do that either. That is another thing. Um, I, I've embraced the world of mobile gaming because there's, you know, there's one TV in the flat, and it's like, you know, as I, I've got a partner who I live with, and it, you know, it's unfair to take up time on the TV when she's home and wanting to watch something. So, you know, as adulthood creeps in, you do find yourself limiting like your game time initially to like you know for like jobs or like other people's convenience but then you're like why was i sinking like hours of my life into this a week like i i don't know how many hours i put into like dark souls or skyrim or any of or any of the other games that I'd, you know that i'd really fucking binge about a decade ago I, I I was binging Dark Souls on the Switch literally three weeks ago. I've just beaten <laughs> Ornstein and Smo, so uh, I, oh, I'm going to yeah. go back to it once my uh, job hunt is over. So don't don't shit on binging Dark Souls. Hey, no, just yet. Uh, don't get me wrong. I'm not not shitting on it at all. I'm just <laughs> just uh, just sort of thinking. You know, I I think what it is is like I've gone 
you know, I've gone without like a, a full on like eight hour game binge for long enough now that I that I sort of look back on it and I'm like, man, what? You know, like I know what I got out of it. It was it was an enjoyable time. It was it was a good use of leisure time. But I do sort of think, man, I maybe could have gone outside a bit more. <laughs> This is an awful long roundabout way of saying that gamers need to rise up. <laughs> this uh, but is, I respect this it. This is. I think we should. I think we should all slunk our gang weed immediately and put on our Joker <laughs> makeup and our V for Vendetta masks, and and wear the twenty forty nine overcoat over the drive jacket. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So on that very. Um, positive note we'll call it <laughs> um let's uh, let's move on to the final section of the podcast i do this with uh with everyone that comes on because uh, i'm a morbid soul tell me about your favorite dead dog in uh in the media this is uh something that this is the only question i did any research or planning for actually um i struggled with this one because this is going to make me sound incredibly callous um i may check myself into a ward after uh disclosing this information but i didn't have any particularly strong memories of any dead dogs in media so what i did when upon receiving this question in the in the uh interview arrangement process was i i looked up you know films that i'd seen and revisited some, you know, revisited a few scenes, and it turns out that what, uh, trying no to make yourself cry. Well, I was thinking about like what goes into an effective dead dog. <laughs> like how how does it? What are you saying as a filmmaker or a uh, or a game designer when you kill the dog? Because one that stuck out to me initially was signs, you know, where the uh, kid stabs the dog to death with a bread knife. But then I was thinking, well, like, that didn't actually, like, what the fuck was Shyamalan actually doing with that? I think he just wanted to make us sad or scare us by, like, here's a dead dog. And so, the, you know, that, that was cut from my list. And then I was thinking, you know what, though? You know what? What, you, what you're really trying to do is uh, when you show someone killing a dog is to a foreshadow violence against humans and be like show a sort of atrocious inhuman act and that's when i kind of arrived at well i did think about funny games as well but then i thought about you know i didn't actually like funny games that much as a whole so i don't know how effective the dead dog was in that but then i thought (laughs) you know what 30 days of night because they snuffed a puppa but good in that shit. And that, that happens really early on. And what you got there is, like, you go into it pretty much, no, unless you've read the comic beforehand, which not many people had. I hadn't. I still haven't, actually. But, like, you go into that knowing that there'll be vampires, but, like, you know, like, you this is the fucking modern age. You know, it came out in the late aughts. It was like, you know, people fucking, you know, they know Interview with a Vampire. They know Twilight. You know, like, they, they've... The idea, the cultural mythos of the vampire has come a long way since Nosferatu. And so what, what we do when we, you know, when we snuff the dogs in 30 Days of Night is we're going, yeah, it's vampires, but we, we're making a monster movie. And so we fucking snuff the dogs. So you get so you get a baseline idea of 
of the fact that you're in for a fucking you know you're in for a fucking gory ass roller coaster and i think that's sure. that's what makes it effective it's like the um it's like the goat in jurassic park you remember that was that eaten by the t-rex yeah 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 and like the goat it goes off the screen and then like a fucking bloody goat's leg hits the car windshield and like that, oh yeah and yeah. that happens right before like they have an opening kill but like that happens right before the characters that we know and care about are immediately put in danger and it's that same like mechanic of like animal violence you know uh as a prelude to human violence and i think that's what makes it that's what makes it good and effective. And I know good is not the right word, but it's the one I'm going with. And because, and I think that's good because it mirrors like um, how, you know, how like a lot of serial killers or, uh, or murderers get started. Um, you know, that there will be violent towards animals and then later on towards humans. And I, I think having that, uh, you know, having that, mirrored in the narrative process sort of subconsciously sets people up so so yeah that's that that's a, that's, that's why perspective yeah and and it's all born out of me like looking at your question and going fuck am i, am I a bad person that i don't have an immediate answer for that <laughs> no i think yours is the best one yet so oh I'll thank give, you I'll give you that thank well you done. and on that again very intellectually stimulating <laughs> note it is uh now half nine and I have work tomorrow so what I'm going to do is I'm going to draw this podcast to a close um, it's been really nice thank thanks so much for coming on I've had a really great time hey thank you for having me it, it's been it's been truly amazing like I uh, I don't I know so few people from the good old days and it's like and it, it warms my heart even even though, like, at the time, I think we were all a little bit sadder than we are now. And... Oh, yeah, for sure. And maybe kind of enjoyed... I think I think we were largely quite unhealthy to each other in ways that... Um, not just us, but, like, that community, I think, was quite... Absolutely. Like, for, for all... It, for all we, you know, for all we'd, um, you know, we'd make, uh, pay lip service, I think, to good mental health and uh, good mental health practices. I think there were definite elements of like reveling in sadness. And I think, wow, it, uh, it's a bit like, um, it's a bit like being a recovering addict, you know, like you're sort of like, man, nothing's ever going to feel as good as it did when I was on heroin, even though you know damn well it was killing you. Although I've never been on heroin, I uh, understand your perspective. Um, but it, that doesn't take away from the fact that it has been very nice to catch up. Yeah, like likewise. Like, honestly. And it's really, I, really good to see you doing so well. It, it's uh, it, it, It's been so, so good. Like, as, as much as... Like, sorry, what I was trying to get out was, like, as much as that... Um, as much as that community was a little bit self-destructive in its own way, I think it's you know it, it's just been such a fucking nice chat. I um, I'm probably going to go and have a little cry after that. I'm I'm really moved. Uh, oh bless you, uh, bless you. Thank you. It's been um, so good talking so, to you, man. 
I'll give you the opportunity to tell people where they can find you if you want to. If you don't, I'll just cut this bit out. Um, or where they can find Underdark. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Take it away. Okay. Um, on Twitter, we are Underdark. I believe it's at Underdark UKBM. I probably better double check that before I send people to the wrong place. Oh, no. It's just at Underdark UK on Twitter. So, that's what we are. Uh, Sweet. Yeah. And it's at Underdark UKBM on Instagram, I'm pretty certain. You can also find us on Facebook. We do have a TikTok, but I run that and I've never posted anything on it because every time I open the app, it makes me feel like <laughs> it makes me feel like the most embarrassing kind of wine mom. But uh, <laughs> so um, yeah, don't don't look for us on TikTok. We're not there. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> uh, and yeah, you can find me on Twitter at AS Vasquez or on Instagram at Vasquez Interstellar. I post very intermittently on both, but I will answer DMs. Perfect. Um, okay, everyone, thank you very much for joining us again. Um, I haven't recorded an episode of this podcast in uh, 10 or 11 months, and over the next, well, Today I've recorded two and next weekend I will have recorded one and I'm deep in the middle of a job search. So when this will get edited and released, your guess is as good as mine. But um, thanks for joining me and wherever and whenever you're listening to this, uh, thanks for your time. Have a good one.